Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Norm, and I would like to welcome you back to Faith and Beliefs Refuted, number six. I believe we are on. Um, today, David is going to take us through Articles of Faith number six and seven. Um, and so, as usual, I will stop and make commentary when needed, um, and just let it play out when it's not needed. So, to keep this as short and sweet as possible, we are going to jump right in. Um, we are going to hit this button and see if we're going to get... In 1842, Joseph Smith, the first prophet and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, wrote down 13 of the religion's fundamental beliefs. Number six on the list says this. We believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. You'll notice the similarities between this article of faith and Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Okay, okay let's take a look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 really quick. Um, and then I'm going to make some comments and then I'll let him go on. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we believe this as, as Christians. We look at this and we understand this, that um, he had given some to be a prophet, apostles and some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here's my problem with mormons taking this and using this and with their article of faith one 19 years of mormonism growing up um and constantly being involved some way to a point i've got family who are mormons we got nieces and nephews who have gone on missions um you know i'm constantly interacting with the teachings of the mormon church never once have i heard of anybody being a pastor in Mormonism it's not a title that they use and um, they'll say well you know the bishop is kind of like a pastor but not in the way that pastors were pastors of church in Christ's time in Paul's time in Timothy's time and the way that pastors pastor a church a church in our day you know pastors their whole job is to shepherd the flock that they've been given um, you know, we see some as church planters that will be bivocational for a time, but ultimately the, the, the goal of a pastor is to devote his entire time to shepherding his church. And the Mormons just don't have anybody like that. All those guys are in the upper uh, echelon of Mormonism in the general authorities, the 70 and the 12 and so on. Um, and those guys get mainly because there's no paid clergy, which scripture does make it clear that it's okay to pay um, those who are due their pay. Pastors can be paid, but those, those guys get like checks and stuff like that from being on boards of, uh, you know, businesses and stuff like that. So, but we don't see this structure in Mormonism anywhere. We see the apostles, but we also, as Christians, we believe that that office of apostle went away with the twelve. Um, and, you know, Paul and Matthias, who was added later, which, again, they're going to get into that. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But um, as far as office of prophets, as the way that Elijah and Elisha 
and John the Baptist and Christ was a prophet and so on that office also is no longer needed because we have a prophet who sits at the head of our church who is still alive who will never die and so we no longer need one man who intercedes between the people and God because Christ is that prophet everlasting never changing Okay, so first of all, we believe Christ did indeed establish an actual church organization during his life. He didn't just convey a belief system and say, every man for himself. There was an organization, there was authoritative leadership with a prophet, Christ, at the head, and 12 apostles below him in the hierarchy. He also appointed a group of 70 other people. When one apostle died, they replaced him with someone else. Before Christ died, he passed the authority to lead the church onto Peter. So we believe... Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff right there that we have to address. One, when you look at the structure of the Mormon church, which is supposedly restored, we see nowhere in the Bible or any of the writings of the church fathers any kind of structure and um, structure like that, any kind of organization anywhere close to what Mormonism is. That supposedly so how do we how can you say that Christ established this organization when there's no evidence of it ever existing until Joseph started it and really it was kind of perfected and tweaked and and made the way it is after Joseph died and it was through the necessity of Brigham Young and and so on to tweak it into what it has really become today so we see no evidence of that um, two, you just said Christ was the prophet at the time. And if prophets and apostles are only replaced after they died, Christ never dies. So why are we replacing a living prophet who is Christ, <laughs> um, the ultimate living prophet with a sub, uh, standard, I guess, um, a less than worthy prophet in any other man if jesus is alive and that's what you believe and you believe that prophets are replaced after they die then this prophet should never have been replaced um looking at authority and what mormons consider authority first jesus never really passed on any authority to any individual person when he restores peter after he's resurrected um he says, do you love me three times? And he says, feed my sheep and, and so on. And so he's essentially establishing Peter as the de facto leader of the way or the church when Christ ascends. Um, but Jesus, when he gives the great commission, he says, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus does not say, I'm giving you this authority. He's essentially saying, go out and operate under my authority. So we don't hold the authority per se. And, and you know, you may say we're, I'm just mincing words. But when you look at what the Mormons think about their priesthood, they are literally thinking they hold the same authority that Christ held. And whereas Christians believe that Christ still holds all that authority, we just have the privilege of operating underneath it. And so, um, talk it, looking at the priesthoods, one, Jesus put an end to the Levitical priesthood 
being the final sacrifice once for all. The Levitical priesthood was a hereditary priesthood. You could only have it if you were part of the line of, of Levi and ultimately Aaron under Levi. Um, and so the Aaronic priesthood, as the Mormon church talks about it today, is a priesthood that no one can actually hold scripturally unless they come from the line of Aaron. And they were there to do sacrifices. We don't see any evidence of, of marriages or endowments being done in the temple by Aaronic priests. It was all sacrifice. That's it. Sacrifices. And then when Christ became this, the final sacrifice once for all, the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood was done away with. And when you look at the Melchizedek priesthood, scripturally and through all the writings of the early church fathers, there is only known as two priests, Melchizedek and then Christ, who is said that he would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. And the literal Greek translation of that is untransferable. It is a priesthood that doesn't transfer to anybody else. It is a priesthood that will be held by Christ forever and ever, and no one else need hold it. Because Christ is the ultimate priest, the only priest that we need is Christ. The only person we have to go to for absolution of sin is Christ. No one else can do that for us. Jesus is the final priest. And, and you know, we see Revelation talk about priesthood and a kingship and, and so on. But as far as the authoritative priest, Christ is it. I believe there was an organization to the primitive church, and we don't use the word primitive in a derogatory way. We're simply referring to the fact that this was the early structure of Christ's church. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today spans the entire world. As such, through modern prophets, Christ has called additional quorums of the 70, for example, to meet the needs of a much more expansive membership. The church is a living evolving organization but it's still founded on the original structure Christ instituted so we run into this problem and this is it makes it very convenient to have a modern prophet who can receive these revelations and make all kinds of changes however they want to say I mean here they they talked about in the Book of Mormon and this is where my problem when why I left Mormonism to a, a degree was um, you know, when you have what is called the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Fullness means complete, means it shouldn't need to change. Nothing should be added. Um, nothing should be taken away because then it's no longer full. Everlasting means just that, everlasting. But then you start getting these changes that happen over time. So... How is it the fullness of the everlasting gospel if it's not full or it needs to be added to? Again, the convenience of being able to change things and the having prophets who contradict each other. I mean, as Rathap Benson said it in his famous speech, The 14 Fundamentals of the Prophet, that a living prophet supersedes the words of a, a dead prophet. Famously, you have the teachings of Brigham Young, who said that no black man would ever hold the priesthood until every worthy white man were to hold it. And then Spencer W. Kimball, 1978, suddenly the black men are, are given the, the right to hold the priesthood, rightly so. I mean, but 
now you have a problem. Which one of these prophets was true? Because if Brigham Young is speaking in the name of God, and this is an actual prophecy, then it should never change. God should not change his mind. So Spencer W. Kimball was lying and not a prophet. If and your your succession successive line of prophets is corrupted. If Brigham Young was not speaking as a prophet and Spencer W. Kimball was acting rightly, then Brigham Young was a false prophet and your successive line of prophets is corrupted. So there's a problem there. And it, to to say that we can just change whatever based on revelation, it's a it's a it's a convenient way to lie. And that's what I figured out, and that's why I left Mormonism. He may not be here physically in front of us, but the heavens are not closed. Christ is still very much involved in the church and each of our lives. Christ is still very much alive and leading his church today. And we recognize that. And so I kind of agree with the Mormons on this, but here's the problem. I don't believe in the Mormon Jesus. Miracles have not ceased. Which brings us to Article of Faith number seven. We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, and so forth. The gifts of the Spirit are real. Revelation is real. We believe the prophet and president of the church receives revelation from the Holy Ghost for the church and the world. Parents can receive revelation for their family. You can receive revelation for your life. We believe in the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, not unintelligible babbling but being able to speak, understand, or interpret foreign languages. <coughs> Sometimes that happens suddenly and miraculously, but more often it happens with study and practice. Latter-day Saint missionaries experience it all the time. I picked up Spanish in just a few months in Mexico, and yes, I think the gift of tongues Excuse played me. a role in that. God is not a silent observer. He's alive and busy as ever. So is the Holy Spirit and all the gifts associated with him. That's what Latter-day Saints believe. If you'd like to know more... Okay, so, again, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that, and I'm going to try to tackle it in about two minutes. So, these are some places where I kind of agree with Mormons in a sense, but, again, there's problems in how they portray it and how they work out these things. I am a continuationist. I'm not a cessationist. I believe the gift of the Spirit are still active and working today. But... The only time you'll ever hear me really quote Mark Driscoll, there's a reason why they're called miracles and not Wednesday. God does not give these to everybody. These are not gifts that everybody can have. So for them to say the, the prophets receive revelation and parents receive revelation and individuals receive revelation, there's a, there's a real fine line that has to be walked there. Because if your revelation does not line up with what scripture says or it doesn't come to pass or anything to that effect, you're essentially saying God spoke to you and either God lied or you were wrong or there's so many things. And then, of course, there's the famous thing where they talk about sometimes, you know, Joseph Smith, that how they talk him out of his failed prophecies. As he said, sometimes revelation comes from God, sometimes it comes from man, and sometimes it comes from the devil. If you're a prophet of God and you cannot tell the difference between a, a prophet like their prophet is, and you can't tell the difference between speaking the word of God, the word of man, or the word of the devil, you need to get the heck out of that office because that's a dangerous place to be. You know, 
Ezra Taft Benson, again, in that speech that he gave, the 14 Fundamentals of the Prophet, said a prophet will not be able to lead his people astray. But if sometimes revelation comes from the devil, and he can be deceived by that, that means he can lead the people astray. And there's a problem. And so that, we believe that, that revelation is very, very few and far between because it's so prone to be wrong. We see it all over the place with date setters for the end times, Harold Camping and John Hagee and all these people with their blood moons and their tetrads and so on. Those forms of revelation are very scary and to proclaim things in the name of God and be wrong is blasphemous and it's dangerous and I don't think you should do it. You know, there are times where in my life where I have felt like I've heard an audible voice and all of those things have, have ultimately come to pass. But I, I rarely do I put those things out there as absolute revelations from God. I think maybe an angel may have spoken or some of those things. But, and they did all come to pass so they could be prophecy. But I don't hold them up to that standard because it's a dangerous standard to be wrong in. Um, things like speaking in tongues, I do not believe. I did once upon a time believed in ecstatic tongues and believed in speaking in a prayer language and so on. I do not believe in that now. I believe that it is ultimately a miraculous gift of tongues is a miraculous event. So not just because of study, that's studying and, and becoming proficient in, especially in an immersion situation. But I think that in miraculous situations where, say, I'm going down the street and I see somebody has been, I don't know, let's go to an extreme, hit by a bus, and they're lying on the side of the road and they're dying and they need to hear the gospel, but all they speak is Romanian, which I've never heard a word of in my life. And suddenly I just start speaking to this person when what I think is English and he is hearing me in his native language and hearing the gospel proclaimed and maybe he speaks back to me in his language and I hear him in mine that's what happened at Pentecost that's what we see those guys went out that doesn't say they were speaking in, in, in angelic tongues or ecstatic tongues they went out and they were preaching the gospel and everyone there heard them in their own language that's a gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues so that's how I believe and I think scripturally holds up what the gift of tongues is. And then, of course, healing. Does it, Benny Hinn is not a healer. He does not hold that gift. If he did, he should be in hospitals clearing them out on a daily basis. But every once in a while, God will miraculously answer a prayer and heal someone in a miraculous sense. So in those situations, I do believe that the gifts are still active. But I think they are... Um, especially the gift of prophecy and revelation is horribly misused by the Mormon church and they put themselves in a very dangerous place besides the fact that they worship a false Christ and a false gospel and a false God but putting yourself in a place to speak for God and then be wrong about it is blasphemous and it's dangerous and it should not be done there are plenty of warnings and and treatments for uh, false prophets throughout scripture so he's just going to wrap it up with giving the information about, about their beliefs. website go ahead and subscribe and to the channel so leave on. a comment check out and the so. article about this topic on our website and keep an eye out for our next video about article of faith number eight coming out soon we'll see you there so 
again, we, we find ourselves in this, um, in a place where I don't want, I encourage you guys to go and read this. I'll leave it up there because I encourage you to go read this, but also look at it with, and I guess an open mind. Don't, you know, just be fooled by what they say. Look at the realities of what they're teaching and what the, they're proclaiming to be their beliefs. Um, look at it intelligently. Um, not that, that's kind of rude to say, but, you know, sometimes they just check it at the door and, and go with what is being said. And again, based on a, a feeling of burning in the bosom, that's nothing to base eternal salvation on. You know, we need to be able to look at what is real and what is true and what stands up to scrutiny. And the Bible does, the Book of Mormon doesn't, and all the other Mormon scriptures and teachings do not. So, I will leave you with that. And as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.